Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. In 2019, Yovana experienced a night of no sleep whatsoever, but she was confident that she would get some sleep the following night. However, the next night was just the same. Yovana didn't get one minute of sleep. At this point, she started to panic and her anxiety was further compounded by the fact she was a new mum. Yovana started to dread going to bed. She felt frustrated. She felt lonely. Fortunately, she found the Insomnia Coach YouTube channel and the Insomnia Coach podcast and started to realise that she was not alone and that her insomnia was not unusual or unique. Ultimately, Yovana stopped the endless sleep-related research and ongoing detective work. She stopped experimenting with medication and supplements. She started to remove herself from the process of sleep and began to accept that sleep cannot be controlled. At the same time, she committed to actions that helped her move toward the kind of life she wanted to live, even after difficult nights and even in the presence of difficult thoughts, feelings, and emotions. As a result, Yovana regained confidence in her natural ability to sleep, and is once again living the kind of life she wants to live. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hello, Yovana. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Martin. (laughs) So I'm going to start right at the beginning, just like I do with all my podcast guests. Um, So can you just tell us when your sleep problems first began and what do you think caused your initial issues with sleep? Mm -hmm. Um, So it first began, I think I know exactly the date, which is, it's so weird, right? You remember something things like very precisely. I think it was like the 13th of December. And I think it was a weekend. You can you can recall and check if you'd want to check. I think it was 2019, 13th of December. And it happened for me two nights in a row that I couldn't sleep. So I really remember it's the first time it began because before that I would have like bad nights of sleep, you know, but I wouldn't panic and I wouldn't react the way I did when it happened then in December. So basically, I had the feeling like I couldn't sleep. So like I was just laying down in my bed. And even I even tried to go to the couch, try to sleep there. I just like nothing was happening. I didn't sleep like a minute, which never happened to me before. Because even if I had a bad night and I couldn't fall asleep, at some point, let's say 4 or 5 a.m., I would fall asleep eventually, you know. Yeah. And this didn't happen then, and I didn't know why. And then the night afterwards, I was sure I would sleep because, you know, I still had this belief like sleep is natural, it happens at some point if you're tired. It didn't. <laughs> and then it hit me really hard because I really thought like there's something wrong with me. Like there must be because I just had my baby a few months before. Mm-hmm. Um, my son was born in August 2019, and I believed that maybe some, um, how do you say, hormonal imbalance was the mm-hmm. cause or maybe the reason why I don't know some the thing is I didn't I wasn't informed very much about sleep and like you know all those things even melatonin wasn't a word for me I just thought like there must be some chemical in your body that allows you to sleep and if you don't have that it doesn't work 
So I really started thinking, yeah, I have a problem now. And, and yeah, and it, it happened. So eventually the third night I would sleep. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of, I remember I talked to some friends and I was like, whoa, can you imagine two nights in a row? Who had that? And I felt pretty lonely because I only had one friend who had it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the problems I had at this time is not knowing anyone who was going or experiencing those things. So I started to panic. I Googled. <laughs> and then, oh God, you can find anything on Google. So it happened a few nights after, maybe maybe just even a week afterwards, I couldn't sleep again. And apparent, there was no apparent reason for me not to sleep because it's not as if I did something different on that day. Mm. It's not as if I overslept the days before. I couldn't. I had a baby, so it was like my baby was waking me up anyway. Like I was sleep depraved from my baby, so I yeah. thought like this is not normal. Something must be really bad with my health, you know. But like um, the root cause, I think now is not this hormonal thing. I really believe it was just stress and anxiety, which was kind of there the whole time, you know. But I wasn't really aware of it, and this is why when it happened again, I know now. But this is like really the inside. I couldn't, I couldn't say that back then, you know, but like mm-hmm. when it kept on happening like Christmas, I still had this problem. It was like, oh, it went on basically until this year, beginning of this year. So kept on coming and happening and I couldn't figure out the words of cause. But like now I would say, I think it's more stress related and that my arousal system, as you told me, is called, that this thing wouldn't just come down, you know, like I wouldn't calm down in the evening and... And yeah, and what's interesting is I don't know why I wouldn't notice that this was recorded. You know what I mean? Mm. Looking backwards now, I believe like, God, it was so obvious. Like it was stress, you know, Mm. but why would you think something's, you know, it's very, it's very weird to me even now to understand why somebody gets so lost with their thinking. You know, it's like you take a wrong path and then you, yeah. Yeah, it's really easy to do. Did did you ever have issues with sleep before that period of December 2019? Yeah, so I think I would say, but not a lot. I would say maybe, I don't know, twice per year. So like be rare, you know, I would have a bad night where I would like think about stuff. And then I remember I noticed like, ooh, it's already 2 a.m. I'm still not sleeping. Oh, this is mm. bad. I have to wake up in the morning. How am I going to mm. do that? You know, this kind of thing. But as I said, like four or five or maybe even six a.m. at some point I would sleep. And eventually, like my brain would stop thinking about those things, I guess. And then I, w- I would sleep. Yeah. So, and this was rare. I wasn't, I, mean, I didn't call myself insomniac. I didn't even know really what this was, you know. Mm. And then I started to call myself, I think I'm an insomniac now, you know, when I, yeah. when I, had it a couple of times because yeah it was just I didn't I, I, I remember I was saying but I don't belong to those people you know? <laughs> right. As if it's something really bad you know yeah <laughs> I really had this feeling I know this is not me and why is it happening to me and I couldn't yeah I couldn't figure out and, oh god and then and then I developed all the the other problems like sleep anxiety and I think this is mm-hmm worst part because I already was anxious because of my baby being a new mom blah, blah blah the whole things and then the sleep anxiety made it like this made my life horrible because I was dreading going to bed like even maybe just thinking about when the evening begins you know 6 p.m already oh should I go at 8 p.m tonight to try to compensate yeah. or, you know and this behavior began and oh wow and I was really I remember I was like having yeah like I show always in my tummy because it's somewhere there this stress ball or something you know Mm. it's holding you and like yeah I was really anxious just thinking okay I'm gonna go to bed and it's not gonna work and then what's gonna happen I'm gonna have another night without sleep and wow that's that's the worst really and the lonely part feeling lonely this component I think it was something that really um wasn't helping me because I figured when I started, when I discovered later on your podcast, your videos on YouTube, the whole class, everything, this helped a lot and very fast. Like just, I, I know, I remember the first week I was watching like 
at least like five videos of yours, you know, either hearing podcasts or just some explanation videos. And I felt already a support just by knowing, okay, other people are having the same things. You know, they are experiencing the same symptoms or they are calling themselves insomniac. So like, you know, this thing I think is what I missed. And I'm sad I didn't find this out before, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think you touched on a great point about how we can just so easily get caught up in our thoughts. And a lot of it is to do with that, you know, especially that anxiety of what the, what each night will bring. And I think something that some people listening to here will identify with, and I'm really glad you mentioned it, was the fact that back in December 2019, apart from the fact that you had had a baby a few months before that, when those sleep issues kind of cropped up, there didn't seem to be an obvious cause of them. And that in itself can be quite concerning, right? And lead us down this rabbit hole of really starting to worry that maybe there's a chemical imbalance or there's something uniquely wrong. We've lost that magical chemical or that ability to sleep. Um, And the reason I'm really glad you mentioned that is because sometimes there are obvious causes of sleep disruption and that can be quite comforting. but sometimes there's not, and that can be where we can get caught up in our thoughts then. But the fact of the matter is, it really doesn't matter what the initial trigger of that sleep disruption is, because we can't eliminate those from our lives. There are always going to be some nights where we have difficult nights. Sometimes it's an obvious reason why, sometimes not. But it's when we get caught up as a result of those difficult nights and start to worry, um, you know, really start to feel anxious about what each night will bring and start to modify our behaviors um, in response in a bid to try and protect our sleep or to make sleep happen. That's when we can, the real problems can start. And that's why it's really helpful to kind of move away from trying to figure out the trigger and instead just work on all those thoughts and behaviors that can perpetuate the sleep disruption. Yeah, but you know, even before I, no, 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 after I Googled, obviously, first I Googled, but then quite quickly, I, after a few months, let's say just after Christmas, so it began December, as I said, I think 13th, so middle of December, and then I waited Christmas, it was bad, and everything was bad January, I think even already in January, I just, I went to a doctor, and, okay, obviously, not all doctors are bad, but like, her advice was pretty bad for me, because the first thing she gave me was sleeping pills, like obviously not even the ones you buy like uh, over the counter some herbs or stuff to, like how do you call it in uh uh is like an uh, uh, it's a, a drug i use it's like a valerian valerian do you know valerian, this yeah mm-hmm. yes so not even that she went full on and gave me really a prescription of sleeping pills and she was like nah you know if you take once per week it's fine and obviously this concept of like I'm going to have one night of good sleep per week. You know, this is already triggering your anxiety because you think like, okay, I cannot do more than one because I'm going to be addicted and it's dangerous, you know? And like, I don't know. I I felt like really this was a bad idea to start with that, you know? Yeah. And the fact that she didn't, she also said she didn't want to test all, because I was mentioning my, my thought, like, okay, probably hormonal imbalance some chemicals the magical chemical that doesn't work anymore and she said it's very hard actually to um when you do a a blood test like or you just want to you know go for a check she said it's quite hard to identify where if there is a problem really you know in Mm -hmm. the hormones or something she was also saying there is a kind of no way to know precisely if you really have this um this biological problem or you know what I mean chemical problem in your yeah. body so this also left me okay must be like we won't know but it's probably that you know like it contributed to ah it was just worse yeah just worse. <laughs> I, you know I think there's two two great points that you made there the first and foremost is that we kind of sometimes can see sleeping pills as being this kind of magical elixir the solution to everything but they can also come with their own issues like you said um, if I'm only allowed to take them one one night a week, does that mean that I'm just not going to sleep for the other six? Then you've got this, this idea that sometimes they can reinforce this assumption or this belief that we can't sleep without some kind of external help, some external crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just this 
drifting off into the detective work you know there's there's some mystery going on i've got to investigate it if is it chemicals is it hormones is it this or is it that and often it's that ongoing detective work that can really kind of kind of trap us and lead us down this slippery slope and it can kind of just consume our lives and we're just spending every waking minute um just thinking or investigating what could be the problem here yeah exactly because for me it wasn't normal that she would just prescribe those sleeping pills i thought like you know we need to figure out what's the root cause i wanted to know you know so it really what you say it really triggered my detective mode and i kept on googling and i thought maybe she doesn't know everything i need to seek somebody who's really professional, like a generalist, you know, a doctor who really is just for sleep. So I Google yeah. that. But it's funny how I didn't think of this, um, how do you say, TBCI? CBTI. No? Mm -hmm. ah, yes. <laughs> In French is another way. But yeah, so the behavioral therapy, nobody mentioned that. She didn't mention that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it is it's a real shame, you know, and your story is really familiar, unfortunately, that we have this magical collection of techniques, these cognitive and behavioral techniques, which is just a fancy way of saying we we can explore the thought processes that can perpetuate sleep disruption and we can tackle the behaviors that we implement that can perpetuate sleep disruption. And when we take that kind of two-pronged approach, it's really helpful and really effective with uh, chronic insomnia. And it's usually recommended as the first line treatment for chronic insomnia as well. Um, but unfortunately, we have an issue where a lot of doctors just don't know about it, um, mm -hmm. often through no fault of their own because the training just isn't there most of the time. And also we have an access problem. So even doctors that are familiar with the techniques, they don't really have the time available to work through these techniques one-on-one -on -one with their clients. And there's not many people they can refer these patients out to either. So we have a real problem in terms of knowledge and accessibility of these techniques. Um, and they're not, we don't need to shroud them in mystery. The techniques themselves are pretty straightforward. They can definitely be challenging to implement, um, yeah. but we don't need to really ring, fe ring fence access to them. They can be straightforward. People can implement them independently. And if we can put all of our efforts into implementing those techniques instead of all the things that can lead us astray, like this ongoing detective work, doing all that researching, all that doctor Googling, it can be so helpful. Um, and I like to emphasize this because we can get caught in this trap through no fault of our own. We can do everything right. You know, we can go to the doctor, we can look online, we can do our research, um, but we can get trapped or caught up because there's a lack of information out there on the good stuff, the stuff that works. Mm -hmm. And there's a, we have challenges in terms of access to the good stuff as well. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you touched upon like the kind of issues that you were having. It was like you would just be worrying about sleep all day long. And mm -hmm. then we would we would normally expect, let's say if you didn't have insomnia, we would normally expect that after a night or two, um, maybe things would get back on track. Um, you'd have those those nights of catch-up sleep, but it sounds like that didn't really happen for you. Well, what what were you finding was a kind of typical typical night? Was it issues just first falling asleep or was it waking during the night and finding it hard to fall back to sleep or, or maybe it was both? It was both. Um, it started with the falling asleep, which I think was the main cause of my anxiety then because it was a worst part like oh just dreading going to bed but I also had and this happened I don't know exactly when because it's hard to say because as I say I wasn't sleeping through my night anyway because of my baby so like even just breastfeeding or just you know waking up change my baby or something made me like um you know sometimes I couldn't fall back asleep but I didn't think about that until I had my insomnia and then when this happened, like I could really notice, ah, I knew like sometimes if my son would wake me up at two or 3 a.m., I wouldn't sleep until the rest. Even if I had fallen asleep first, somehow, and I didn't understand why, falling back asleep, like it didn't work. So I would wake up, I do what I have to do, and then go back to bed. And then I just couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. Even if maybe in this moment, anxiety wasn't there. So this yeah. is also why, because I started to analyze because I was obviously then conscious, okay, I am stressed when I go to bed now, 
obviously I am stressed. I try to do relaxation techniques and stuff like that. And also mentioning this Valerian because I didn't take those real sleeping pills for a long time because I was scared and obviously didn't work with the whole concept of I'm not sleeping five days and I have one night. What's the point, you know? So I quit this, but then I tried to do a cure with Valerian and this was kind of helping the time I was taking it because I felt less stressed, I guess. So this is good because it worked on that. But then the falling back asleep, like falling back, yeah, asleep when uh, in the middle of the night, this started not working kind of like really, it was obvious like, wow, there's something wrong now. So this must be again another, you know, like you yeah. always kind of try to analyze and to figure out what's the root cause. And if something works like the stress part, you know, it's a bit relieved or diminished through this medication. So then what's next? Why is still something wrong, you know? Oh God, <laughs> I might not sleep at night. <laughs> but like, this is just, ah, uh, I don't know, it was a very, very bad time. So many, like, yeah, bad memories of this. All the things I tried, because it's not the only thing. After I finished like three months of Valerian, obviously I went off and maybe, I think maybe for a week, it was fine, kind of fine again. But then I would eventually have another night where I didn't sleep for a minute. And then I knew, okay, so I'm back on this. And, and I tried um, melatonin. I took it also, first of all, yeah, I, I figured this works. And I don't know, in hindsight, I don't know why it worked because I don't believe much in melatonin now after the whole experiences I had. But like, it did work also like uh, maybe, how do you say, uh, punctually. So like I would take it one time if I noticed like, ah, oh, I'm not falling asleep. And usually I do quite fast if I am falling asleep, it's like very fast. So like after maybe 20 minutes, I'm like, ah, it's not going to happen. So I think it's more a psychological effect that it had on me. So I would just take it. Maybe it's that by then it's maybe 11, 1130. I would take it and it still worked. And this is why I think it's maybe a placebo effect. Like it, ha- it helped me to reduce maybe my anxiety or just like, you know, it made me believe this thing could make me sleep, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I was on and off. And then again, I went to a, a naturopath. Uh, you say naturopath? It's like, yeah. um, mm-hmm. yes. And um, she recommended not taking it the way I did because obviously it was already a couple of months. I was going like this, like six months. And um, she said, I think you need a cure because probably, and this is where again, I fell back in my detective mode and whole. And she said like, yeah, maybe you have a deficiency or some uh, in the, the hypo, la hypophyse, hypophyse, how do you say hypophyse? Oh, pineal gland, mm, I think. Right, yeah. Maybe this one's not producing enough. Maybe you even have serotonin, um, a lack of serotonin, you know? Mm. She was mentioning a lot of stuff there, you know? And she didn't really analyze or check it properly, but she was saying, we don't need to find out and run some tests. We can just take the cure. You do again three months of it, of melatonin every night. And she was like, you need to go strong. You need to start with five milligrams and you go on three months and then you'll go back like down. And basically she thought like this will teach my brain to produce it again in case it wasn't. And I remember I was thinking like, oh God, (laughs) we're back again on something, you know? And then I already knew I was dreading the moment I was to go off of it. And I think it's exactly at this point that I found out your podcast and your videos because I contacted you also and asked about this, like, how do I do that? Because, um, yeah, I I was like, I reduced from five and three, two, one. And then this is ridiculous, but I was taking like, even a quarter of one pill. So like I reduced like from one pill of one milligram, first I did a half, then like I had to cut into a quarter. And at the end, I was still like kind of biting off a little corner, you know, of this quarter of a pill. And I was like, I'm so ridiculous, but I'm so thinking like it's, I'm not going to sleep if I don't take any. So I don't know if I have this addictive profile, you know, people who are addicted to stuff easily or just like, you know, mentally thinking they need it. And yeah, oh God, I, could, I couldn't, I couldn't go off. And if I would, I wouldn't sleep. So then I had my response, you know, I had my confirmation. I'm not sleeping without melatonin. 
Yeah. So what do I do, do now, you know? Yeah, you know, that, that whole, ex just listening to you describe that, that whole experience <laughs> of sitting there and maybe, maybe we need to address this serotonin, maybe you need to have all this melatonin, maybe you, we need this and that. It, it made me start to feel anxious, just, just imagining myself in that situation. Yeah. So, and I, th I think you raised another great point there as well. And it's when we, when we end up taking supplements or over-the-counter stuff or anything, it could be prescription medication even, it can lead us to just, it can reinforce this belief that we need something to generate sleep. And then, like you said, especially if we're taking it contingently. So for example, we're not planning on taking anything tonight. We're going to see how the night goes. And then if we do find that we're struggling, then we might reach for whatever whatever it is we're taking that can be problematic too because first and foremost we're kind of setting up a little test for ourselves: are mm -hmm. we going to fall asleep pretty quickly or are we going to fall back to sleep so that in itself just keeps the brain a little bit more active it has to monitor more for sleep and wakefulness that can make sleep more difficult and then let's say we do reach for whatever it is we've got close by if we do then fall asleep we've kind of reinforced this belief that that thing is generating sleep. If we don't fall asleep, fall asleep easily, then we're just reinforcing this belief that we've, there's something is seriously wrong with us and that we've kind of lost the ability to sleep. So really there's no lasting positive outcome to these things. They can really be one of these, one of these traps that we can get caught up in. Interesting. As you mentioned this thing of, um, how do you say self-monitoring mm. like you're kind of observing yourself and trying to see if like you are going to fall asleep or not but it happens unconsciously right and i didn't know this was a thing as well and i was i remember um it happened also maybe let's say summer 2020 so december 2019 first time and then a few months later uh i remember i had this for the first time when it's not just this twinge, like normal ones you have when you fall asleep. It's honestly like it, my heart would start racing like so fast. And oh, I was feeling so alert and, and stressed at the same time. I was relaxed the second before. So I didn't know where this came from, you know, and I couldn't, I didn't know how to explain it. I was, I remember I was saying this to some friends, the friend who had insomnia, for example, and she didn't have those things. But she also didn't like to talk much about insomnia because I think it was contributing to her anxiety as well. Mm. So I couldn't, I was lonely anyway. And so I remember this feeling of just going to bed, even noticing, this is the thing, you're noticing that you're falling asleep, which normally doesn't happen. And then you have your heart just race, start racing. And it wasn't a physical twinge necessarily, like the, the thing you have sometimes. Mm. It was really... And I was like, oh, what's happening? You know, my heart was pumping so fast. Yeah. And luckily you described it in your videos because this, just the fact, acknowledging the fact that this is a normal thing or is a part like of your brain wanting to be actually nice and reward you and tell you, okay, look, you're falling asleep. Just like after a few nights after I learned about this concept, like um, self-monitoring, mm -hmm. I, I noticed like, it will like fade off. It faded off and I didn't have it anymore, luckily. So yeah, because this was also a very bad thing. It will happen, I don't know, maybe 15 times before I gave up even trying to sleep then because it was so uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, I think in hindsight, all these things, and you know, once we have an explanation for them, it can be so reassuring, but before we, we don't know what we don't know. Right. And so if we don't know what the explanation for these things is, it can just lead to more worry that there is something uniquely wrong or that there's something dangerous going on or, or is really all just, it's just a manifestation. It's just a symptom of just heightened arousal, you know, whether it's thought-based, just thinking about sleep, putting pressure on ourselves to sleep, monitoring for sleep, or the, all the physical symptoms of heightened arousal, which is like a racing heart, feeling cold, feeling hot, sweaty, you know, all those things. These are all kind of normal reactions to heightened arousal. It's basically the body trying to protect out, trying to protect us from what it sees as a threat, which is wakefulness not falling asleep the body can't really differentiate between 
a real physical threat and just kind of an imagined one or just a mental threat. Mm-hmm. But the reaction is the same. So the body's kind of gearing us up to fight or to run away. And that's not really helpful when we want to be setting the, setting the stage for sleep. Yeah, definitely. And not only that, I also noticed how I could fall asleep on my couch. And I was really sleepy and yeah, I even fell asleep maybe for a few minutes and then I would go to my bedroom and not even the part where you are falling asleep, just the fact that I would go into my bed, like on my mattress, you know, yeah. this was already enough to make me fully awake, aroused. Like I was, yeah, just, I didn't understand. And this is the other thing that helped to understand when you explained the conditioning or how do you mm-hmm. call it? Yeah. Yeah. Your brain has like associating the fact that you're not sleeping in your bed. So now we're going to be awake in our bed. Yeah. And it seems now really in hindsight, it seems so obvious, but it, at back at the time it was, I, I thought something was, as you say, uniquely wrong with me. This yeah. is exactly the words I was using, you know, to say, I have a unique problem. Something's really wrong and I'll never found out, find out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really helpful you just explaining all this and just talking a bit about it because, like you said, it's that worry that something is uniquely wrong with us. But the fact of the matter is, you know, insomnia from person to person is almost identical. So I just know from my own experience that so many people listening to this are going to be like, oh, my goodness, she is telling me I'm hearing exactly what I'm experiencing. And that in itself. I found your videos, you know, I was like, oh, God, I have this finally (laughs) yeah that can be so reassuring right just to realize that you're not alone what you're going through isn't unique and that we don't have to be looking for all the answers there there are simple explanations to everything that you're experiencing (laughs) see so you mentioned i just wanted to go back really briefly about you know that the the trials and tribulations of trying to come off that melatonin you were reducing the dose you decided i because I, I remember you actually sending me an email uh, about you really wanted to just get off this melatonin this supplement and you were just going smaller dose smaller dose smaller dose tiny little nibble off the off the edge of the pill but you you went through that experience where when you had that night where there was no melatonin then you'd have difficulty sleeping. So it made it makes it really hard, right? To then have that confidence to maybe go a second night or a third night with no melatonin. It's so much easier to just bring it back into our lives. So how did you shift away from that? How how are you where we are today? Where I'm guessing, maybe I'm assuming wrong, you don't have a big pile of melatonin pills right next to your next no, to no. <laughs> I'm completely off since a few months. I think I stopped in February it was I guess I'm not sure exactly the months of this year when but when so it's the thing I wasn't paying much attention because it was Mm -hmm. I was like healing from this problem and it was just you know happening smoothly and then yeah this why I'm not counting exactly the days but I think it was beginning of the year and um how I finally managed is just because I took your class honestly so when I first I think I emailed you or I was just I watched a few videos a few people interviews on your podcast and this reduced the anxiety level a lot. And I remember I would even watch them before going to bed, sometimes twice the same, you know, just to about this twinges because it was a big problem of mine. I was really sure mm, nobody has that. It's unique. It's very weird. And just to, you know, have you say again and again, like, okay, this is normal. This is something that happens. And like this reduced the stress level. So remember, then I emailed you and then you responded something very smart it was um yeah what do you think if you would go off melatonin now and you wouldn't like you would force yourself to not sleep not that you were recommending me to do that like suggesting i should not that but you say imagine just if you would force yourself not to sleep for like five or six nights in a row do you think you still wouldn't be able to sleep with your water of a pill you know and i remember this kind of yeah triggered my motivation to really say, okay, God, it's so obvious. Let's just try now. And I think I kind of succeeded maybe not the first night after this because I needed to kind of integrate this information and probably rewatch a few videos saying always the same things, but like just to, you know, accept those facts and integrate them. And then I just, I think stress level was reduced enough 
So actually, mm. I wasn't self-monitoring me or my, my, my brain wasn't monitoring. And then I fell asleep, you know. And it wasn't enough after one night because... I am, I think, a very anxious person in general. So I would still think, okay, maybe one night, but you know, I needed to have maybe a week of good nights to be able to build the self-confidence. I think it didn't happen after one success. It's like, you need to have a, a lot of successes to just so that it, there's an overweight, you know, of this compared to what you've been experiencing since like two years. So mm. yeah, um, took a while, but I was... Yeah, I was watching, as I said, a couple of times. Just for me, I need to have this, like somebody telling me things a couple of times. And so I integrate them quite well. And then, yeah, it reassures me. I knew not, I'm not alone. Other people are going through this. Yeah. Other people healed or it's not even healing. It's, I guess, you understand things and you integrate them. And then you kind of yeah you liberate yourself from all those beliefs you know mm. it's not even you needed to heal i didn't need to heal from something or maybe from my mental beliefs yeah but like it's not a healing that happened it's just some kind of integration of this information you know yeah. and which reduced the stress anxiety and slowly my brain stopped monitoring i think that's what helped because that was about the falling asleep you know at the beginning of the night but then in the middle of the night, sometimes I would have, again, where I couldn't fall back to sleep, especially if it was early morning, let's say 4 or 5 a.m., 5 a.m. for sure, I wouldn't sleep anymore. But then again, this knowing you brought was um, reducing the, like your sleep window. And then I knew, uh, even before I tried to reduce it, I knew like, okay, so it just means maybe I'm rested or it's enough for tonight. And just this thing of accepting that maybe I don't need to count eight hours on the clock to be, you know, this helped because yeah as i say the first part of falling asleep was about having less stress like anxiety not thinking of monitoring myself but this didn't heal or like help the other problem immediately which was fine because my worst nightmare was just going to bed so when this was done i was kind of okay with sometimes sometimes like just waking up at 4 a.m or 5 and then i would lay in bed but i wasn't stressed anymore you know we're just like okay maybe i'll sleep maybe not at some point 6 a.m up wake up anyway or just you know and it's fine and yeah we didn't touch on that but that was a big part also of my understanding like not needing to focus on those eight hours which was by the way um the advice i got from the doctor because obviously sleeping pills but also sleep hygiene mm. like you know she informed me of, of all those things which just contributed to my anxiety again and it wasn't helping me so yeah the fact that you kind of broke down all those elements of sleep hygiene was very very good to just not be stressed if in the middle of the night i'm not sleeping anymore and then i tried eventually i remember i refused to do the sleep restriction because I thought, you know, since I still have a small child that's waking me up at some point in the night, I'm not going to restrict too much because I didn't know how to, you know, because sometimes I'll be up anyway for like twice in a night. So like it wasn't eventually really going to help me. But at some point I realized, okay, if I'm always awake at five, I can easily go maybe to sleep one hour later and, you know, I'll wake up maybe at six. You know what I mean? Like I did a bit of the sleep restriction, but not forcing it too much and 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 eventually i would still sleep maybe eight or nine hours because i'm quite tired with <laughs> in general with my child i guess and then some nights i do sleep nine hours and it's fine but some others i'm happily awake at 5 5 30 and my day begins and it's even like bonus time so i'm not stressed about this part anymore for sure yeah you know, I think there's there's kind of a common theme in everything that you've mentioned there, and I think it comes down to control, you know, our desire to control sleep, um, whether that's through medication or supplements or trying to fall asleep, trying to get eight hours of sleep, um, trying to sleep and naturally wake up at, say, 7 a.m. instead of 5 a.m., um, implementing all these different sleep hygiene techniques or rituals all of these things really can just be distilled down into we're trying to control sleep and as you can probably tell just 
now now looking back you're able to do that um it all just comes down to our desire to control sleep which is not helpful it just increases arousal makes sleep more difficult because sleep ultimately is something we can't control it's a natural process and it's when we try and get involved in the process that we tend to see sleep becoming more difficult than it needs to be yeah definitely and um not to mention it i if i had like a very bad night which means for me back then i wouldn't sleep at all i remember i would i was like calling in sick like or not for work but like just some things i had planned even with some friends or nice stuff just easy easy going things those ones i would cancel especially if it's on the night following you know like on the evening following my bad night so i was like oh no 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 i need to um catch up on that sleep you know so i'll go to bed extra early and and it's funny because i think from all the things that i've been through with insomnia um where i'm now so i'm definitely i'm going to bed whatever time i want i'm not even thinking about it i'm falling asleep immediately as i always was before so I feel completely cured. But the only thing is sometimes I notice, and it's interesting, is especially with the friend things, like if I have friends over or the dinner goes a bit longer or something, you know, and sometimes I have like a thought about how I used to think before. So like it's maybe already 11 p.m., which is a bit late for me because I'm mm -hmm. need sometimes to get to bed, like shower, everything. So I know I already think about like, okay, won't be before midnight until I'm home, showered and in my bed. And I still have this, ooh, in the morning, I'm, I, have, I, I only have six hours allotted for sleep, you know, because I decided to have fun. So I still have this little thing sometimes coming up in my mind and I'm thinking, okay. But usually what I do then, like, and I think it's a very good um, recommendation for if you are cured and you still have those problems at some point, I, I immediately think of everything I learned, like, okay, so we're not going to control sleep. <laughs> we're not going to try, you know, it will happen naturally. And luckily I had, I think, enough months behind me of success where it didn't happen at all anymore. So I kind of relate to that and think, okay, I'm not controlling anything. And look, it works. It's just natural. And just like, you know, repeating those things helped me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, th I think it's, I think what was really helpful there was just, the way you were talking about you would sometimes call in sick after difficult nights or you'd even cancel plans with friends, you know, and those kind of things, they're completely understandable um, why we would do them. But what typically then happens is what are we doing instead? So let's say, for example, we call in sick from work. Now we're just kind of sitting at home and we don't have any kind of distractions what are we going to do? We're going to start probably thinking and worrying about sleep, um, maybe firing up Dr. Google again, um, maybe even just trying to take a nap maybe. Um, maybe we're going to be more sedentary. All these things can kind of make us feel more fatigued, can generate more anxiety, more worry. Um, and when we remove good stuff from our lives, like those plans with friends, we reinforce this connection between difficult night equals difficult day. And definitely difficult nights can make the days more difficult, but we also have quite a lot of control over the quality of our days independently of sleep. Um, often what happens to us during the day or what we do during the day has more of an influence on the quality of our day rather than this being completely 100 predetermined by how the night goes. So if we're able to still go into work maybe, or if we're able to still go out with friends and go about our days as normally as possible, yeah. it can really help us come to that realization that a difficult night might not be the end of the world. It might not make the next day a complete disaster. There's still an opportunity to be productive or to have some good moments or even just some okay moments after difficult nights. And then that in turn, maybe then we might put a little bit less pressure on ourselves to sleep and feel, you know, be less likely to get caught up in all those anxious sleep related thoughts. That's not so easy. I have to say, because I remember I, 
think I can only now I can apply what you're saying and not cancel something because I have this information in the background, you know, but like if I would do that, I tried sometimes I was just, okay, so good. I'm going anyway. And my evening, I mean, it was COVID time anyway, so it wasn't like partying or whatever. It was more like just staying up late at some friends or having friends over. And I remember I couldn't enjoy it as much as I used to. You know what I mean? Even yeah. if I forced myself to do that, I would still have the anxiety because I knew, oh God, so really this means I'm not going to bed before maybe 1 a.m. or, you know, which this is also the hard part. Even if you know you shouldn't cancel, like how do you still enjoy something you, you know, will bring some stress and anxiety and worrying, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, th I think what can be helpful there is to kind of ask ourselves a question and it would be something along the lines of, is this behavior helping me live the life I want to live? So, mm -hmm. for example, if you're tempted to cancel those plans with friends, is canceling those plans helping you live the kind of life you want to live? Um, if it is, then that's fine. You don't need to make it. Then cancel those plans. If it's not, then why would you want to cancel those plans? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I think I'm going to keep this one because as I say, sometimes even now by the end of an evening or something, and if it's late, I would still have those thoughts like, Ooh, it's late. You know, just yeah. this. I think this is so funny because I think there are really groups of people, either you're born with this. I have the feeling or you're maybe educated, you know, like you get it from your parents or from, I was thinking, did I get this from my parents? And I think I did because I remember my dad was always saying, ah, oh, you need to go to bed. Like I was maybe three or four or five. I don't know exactly because the memory is a bit blurred, but like, it was like, you need to go to sleep now because otherwise, you know, you'll be very tired tomorrow. Tomorrow, And I think this is something that like, it's ingrained or how do you say like it's seeded, it's like a seed they put yeah. in your, involuntarily, un un unconsciously, but it can have this thing. It's why I say there are two groups of people. The ones who don't even look what time it is when they go to bed. And even if they need to wake up at five, six and very early to go to work, if there's a nice movie, something on the TV or something they're watching, it's 2 a.m., they don't care. They just go to bed when it's finished. You know what I mean? Those people. Yeah. I was never this type of people anyway. So I was always like, oh, okay. So I have to allow myself to be able to sleep at least like seven, eight hours, you know? So this thing, I think it comes already from my childhood or something like either my parents kind of, taught me somehow because they think Ooh, the next day if you don't sleep enough you it's bad things are happening to you mm -hmm. you know like i think this is why i say there are two groups of people i really believe if you're already in this category of somebody who's very conscious about how many hours they should sleep and mm. you kind of have this tendency to be worrying more about yeah it. Definitely, you know, and, and we see that in this common model that we have to describe the development of chronic insomnia. We call it the 3P model. And so we start off with these predisposing factors and some of them, you know, it might just be a different belief system about sleep. You know, we might just have placed more importance on sleep. Um, we might have been raised in a family where sleep was something that was talked about a lot. And maybe we were told that we must go to bed now. You must get out of bed now. You must get a certain amount of sleep. Um, we might have more anxiety. Um, we might be really strong night hours or really strong morning larks. So we might be more susceptible to some sleep disruption. So I think there are definitely some factors there that can predispose us or kind of lift us closer to that bar of insomnia. Um, and then we have, I may as well talk about the last two now, so otherwise people will ask me. Then we have the second P, which is just the precipitating events, you know, whatever triggered that temporary sleep disruption, that initial sleep disruption. It's, it can be really hard to pinpoint that. And it's often not very helpful because we can't eliminate every potential source of sleep disruption from our lives. Um, normally, more than nine times out of 10, our sleep just gets right back on track all by itself. But when it doesn't, it's almost always down to that last P, which is these perpetuating factors, which is... Yeah all the changes to our thought processes around sleep and all the behaviors that we completely understandably implement in a bid to improve our sleep, to control our sleep, to protect our sleep. 
that actually backfire on us and make sleep more difficult because all those thoughts and behaviors can end up lowering our natural sleep drive, our drive to sleep. They can disrupt our body clock and they can lead to heightened arousal. And when we have high levels of arousal, we usually need to generate more sleep drive, be awake for even longer to help overpower that arousal and generate sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I remember um, at some point I was, yes, obviously not at some point, during the whole time I was um, talking to my husband and trying to get some support from him, which obviously wasn't easy for him because he belongs to this other group of people. <laughs> right. <laughs> so no predisposition, nothing uh, that triggered he never had this insomnia thing you know and he even because I was thinking at some point okay maybe you know this relaxation or um, you know you have a lot of uh, how, what's the name AMSR or uh, something mm -hmm. those videos where people either cut through some sponge with a knife like very slowly or something going on with like some little um, pearls or it can be sand I don't know like you usually see on those videos of YouTube on YouTube like fingers moving through some material and it's kind of relaxing to watch those but like I remember I was trying different things like just to relax before bed and I remember I asked him what do you like do you do actually something special you know I asked him and he, oh god his face was like oh like he didn't know what to tell me he was like I don't know you just close your eyes you go to bed and yeah and, you know he's not even thinking and then this also helped a little bit to kind of realize what or to validate what you were saying in your videos me being sleep is natural and there is no need to control anything around it and it happens naturally and this was kind of a validation because for those kind of people belonging to this other group where they're just naturally good sleepers like they're not doing anything and yeah it helped me to let go a bit of this wish to control everything because yeah wasn't working obviously yeah it can be i think that can be really powerful is just asking someone who we know doesn't have any issues with sleep what's your secret what do you do to make sleep happen you know and it's i get emails from people how do i make myself fall asleep what do i do when i get into bed to make sleep happen you know we can't it's that very act of trying that is the challenge that is that obstacle to sleep happening you know the the less we get involved the easier sleep becomes um and i think that something you something else you mentioned which i think is really worth emphasizing is that even today sometimes if you're out late for example you might think oh if i stay out this might mean i've only got like six hours left to get to get sleep or less time and i think that the reason I want to emphasize that is because that's normal and natural. It's just the brain looking out for us. Our brain is kind of hardwired. Our brain is hardwired to protect us at the end of the day. So it's always going to consider what the worst possible scenario might be. You know, it's kind of like if we were living in a cave um, and we, we see a bunch of people from a tribe that we didn't know way off in the distance, the brain, the person that, passed on their genes successfully, their brain told them, don't go down there. We don't know those people stay in the cave. Uh, the brain of the person that didn't get to pass down their genes probably said, yeah, go down. We don't know who those people are. Let's go say hi to them. Went down there, probably got boiled in a big cauldron and eaten. So, you know, our brain is, we, we are here. We are all here today, every single one of us, because our brain is really cautious it wants to give us the worst possible outcome in our mind because that's its protection mechanism. It's always going to be doom and gloom priority number one. That's how it protects us. And so we don't want to prevent that from happening. We don't want to try and push those thoughts away or fight them or avoid them because it's futile. It's just our brain trying to protect us. We're always going to have thoughts. Some of them are going to be happy, nice thoughts. Some of them are going to be unpleasant thoughts, but they are just thoughts. So we don't have to react to them. We don't have to fight them. We don't have to try and avoid them. Sometimes it's helpful to just recognize, oh, there's that thought. I'm only going to have five hours to get to sleep tonight. But here I am out doing things that are important to me, that are meaningful to me, that are enriching my life. Maybe 
that's worth more than getting an extra hour or two of sleep tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to keep this with me for if it happens again, because I was thinking if those thoughts begin and like you engage in this, you know, and you really, I was thinking, oh, okay, anxiety might come back. And this is when, you know, I'll be again, maybe self-monitoring my sleep or something like this, you know. So it's good to say this and emphasize on this, that you should not engage. You just acknowledge, okay, this is a thought, but not try to too much think, okay, so anxiety is maybe coming back <laughs> or, you know, oh, maybe, okay, I'm going to be aroused now. As soon as I get go to bed, my arousal system will be like, not aroused, you know what I mean? My arousal system will go on and I will, you know, all these um, symptoms we usually yeah. have. So this is why I think this is a, a very difficult part in not perpetuating your problem, you know, even if it happens once in a while here and there, just, I think, yeah, as you said, not engaging too much with this thought, just acknowledging it. Yeah. And yeah, because what I do now, obviously I do have sometimes trouble falling asleep, but it's very, very rare. It maybe happened only twice in the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. And what I did is when I noticed, and this is also something I had from your online course was, um, if, I, if you feel bad, like if you're anxious or angry or even uh, frustrated, any bad emotion you might have when while you are lying in bed, then you should get out of it. And this is what I do. And I'm practicing this from where I am now, like this is great. So I would just stand up, like go out of my bedroom, go down, maybe even watch some TV, which also was interesting because from the sleep hygiene, you should not do that or they say you shouldn't. But actually, when you are an insomniac or struggling with insomnia, you just you just do that, and you distress, and you won't think about your insomnia, which is your main problem, I think. So I go down in the living room, and I, I would watch some, maybe some TV or even on my phone. I actually don't read; I do something else. You know, what's I have a book there, so if it happens, I can just read. And usually, just falling asleep there will solve my problem. Mean meaning, I will wake up maybe after an hour or two because. I know either the TV is still on or my light is on and my book is on me or you know what I mean? Like I just mm. fell asleep for slept a few hours. And then this is something I cannot explain. But I think it's due to the fact I'm relaxed, you know, then I go back to bed because I think, okay, I'm, it's more comfortable in my couch. So I do this. I go back, even if it's already 4 a.m. or something, I go back and I always fall back asleep. And I was thinking, wow, this is interesting. This, is, this shows just the fact that, you know, if you're thinking about even your stress and you know this pressure you're putting on yourself doesn't work and just removing that even walking going up the stairs on the other floor, you know like where you think oh, i might be wide awake now not at all i think i fall asleep in a second you know and this is yeah this is another validation for me that it's just natural and you really don't need to think about it control it you know just let go of all those things you're doing and Going back to my bedroom, the stress is gone because I know, because there's this kind of knowing, ah, yeah, I can sleep, you know, my body can do that. So actually, yeah, I'm just going to go back and, and it works. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you can sleep on the couch, then you can sleep anywhere. So it shows that you can sleep if you're one of these people that... Yeah, you recognize you've got that really high conditioned arousal where you seem to be able to sleep on the couch, but you can't sleep in bed as soon as you get into bed wide awake again well this just shows that maybe it's an arousal and anxiety issue um rather than a sleep issue because after all you are recognizing that you're able to sleep somewhere else so it shows that you can sleep and, and everyone can sleep as long as you've been awake for long enough um so yeah i think i think that's helpful and ha just having that plan in place you know we said we don't have to react to all these thoughts that race through our mind um they can be unpleasant they can make us feel uncomfortable but we can also have a plan in place so if being in bed really starts to feel unpleasant you know we're tossing and turning we just don't feel good conditions don't feel right for sleep then we might as well get out of bed and just do anything that might make being awake a bit more pleasant compared to staying in bed and struggling mm -hmm. and that could involve watching tv might involve reading doesn't really matter too much what we do because our goal isn't to make sleep happen because we can't control sleep. It's just to make being awake a bit more pleasant, but it comes with that bonus that we're not reinforcing that conditioned arousal. We're not reinforcing that 
association on that idea that the bed is an awful place to be because we're getting out of bed whenever it doesn't feel good to be in bed and that can be really helpful so I know, I know I've taken a lot of your time and I'm really, really grateful. So I'm just going to kind of get, I'm gonna get to the, the last question, which is the one that I like to ask everyone. Um, and that's this. If someone with chronic insomnia is listening and feel as though they've tried everything, they're beyond help, they can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? watch this podcast, watch the videos. <laughs> I would tell them, yeah, honestly, I would tell them to... Um, get informed about all the things we just mentioned in this um, episode, but get informed about how sleep is natural, how it happens naturally, how like this knowledge, it seems so obvious to some people and you need to go back. Like it's something so simple, you know, and obviously you need to go back to this. So I would, I would honestly try your course, which is so great. This is what I thought. I thought because I was already anticipating what will happen if this doesn't work, you know, like already kind of thinking one step forward. And I was thinking, oh, okay, so if the online insomnia coach doesn't help me, I'll get someone in person, you know, mm-hmm. I thought like, maybe this, I need this contact, you know, this is the next step. So maybe if you feel like online stuff don't really help you, then definitely the CBT, CBTI. Yes. Yeah. The CBTI therapy, the cognitive therapy, I would do this. And and it's difficult to say because if you had this since your whole life, it's also hard. I can understand how hard it is to imagine a way, a different way of living or, you know, being regards to your sleep. Because for me, I could relate to how it was before it happened, like two or three years before that. So I had the goal of kind of, going back to this detached, just relaxed person I was regarding sleep. And if there is where maybe, I don't know, if you're really struggling since you're a kid or a teenager or something, I guess it's really important to have somebody help you or follow you, you know, like coach you basically mm-hmm. with this and to know that you're not alone. I would say this is one really important thing, knowing that there are other people struggling and maybe even people who are not willing to talk about this because they know that this triggers them or contributes to their own anxiety, you know, and which is something I couldn't understand. And now I do a bit. And I think this is important. If you have those people find someone else, maybe who can talk to you about this and use those platforms. You also have, I think one, I didn't use this one, but like, I think there's a forum or something where you can also ask questions and like talk to other people who have those I think this helps to feel supported, to not be lonely and to be reminded you're not having a uniquely wrong issue. It's something, insomnia is very similar. And yeah, it's natural. Like this word, it it happens naturally. Sleep happens naturally. Everybody can sleep. This is like, you print it out. I was thinking also, I did this on my fridge. Like, you know, you can print it out somewhere, put it and there's, have a constant reminder of those things until you integrate them when your brain, your, your body, you really have the knowing from the inside, you know, yeah. not just somebody telling you, you need to kind of really, yeah, integrate this information. And I think then you're really cured because I think everybody can be cured. I mean, it's obviously everybody can sleep. It's natural. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I, w- I wish I had all this information when it started because I would have saved a lot of money buying my pills and everything I did consultations you know and yeah would have been sleeping better earlier so yeah don't waste your time trying other things just (laughs) yeah Yeah, you know I think I don't that's something I hear a lot is I wish I'd found out about all of this sooner um it's very common that people feel that way and obviously it's understandable but I think the great thing is you know the past is the past but what matters is the present um and now you do know all these techniques um and just talking to you you can just tell that your whole relationship with sleep has just changed um but if sleep issues ever happen again in the future you're in a completely different place now you know way more about sleep you know specific techniques that have proven to be helpful you know you can just pull them out of your back pocket and just implement them again if needed so maybe you've come out of this even stronger. You're now more resilient, more confident. So maybe in a way, 
maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but maybe there is even a glimmer of a silver lining to this whole experience. Oh, I believe in that, you know, um, I'm working actually as a healer, energetic work and stuff like this. And I do believe that all experiences have actually a good purpose for us. We learn something from even the bad stuff, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. This is definitely. And even just by talking to some friends, I didn't know they had this. And I recommend also your podcast, your videos and everything. And I think even just being able to help other people who are maybe not talking, but still like 9 p.m. thinking I need to go to bed and like everything's a bit stressed around this bedtime thing, which, you know, helping others. And yeah. That's great. <laughs> All right. I think, well, I think that's a great note to end on. So thanks again for being such a great guest and sharing your experience. It's been thank great you. to talk to you, Vana. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long term improvements in your sleep you get unlimited email-based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.